Hello, and welcome back to the IPHO podcast. I'm Alexi, and I'm currently the Global Patient Safety Fellow with UCB. Through my fellowship's affiliation with IPHO, I'll be hosting monthly episodes here on the IPHO podcast. I'll have guests on every episode that will help me provide you, the listeners, with the podcast that I wish I had as a resource when I was a pharmacy student. We'll tackle subjects like navigating mid-year, what you can do as a student to get relevant experiences on your CV, day-in-the-life episodes where you'll hear from fellows in various functional areas, and so much more. I really hope you find these episodes helpful. With that being said, enjoy the show. And now a quick sponsored message. This episode is brought to you by Novo Nordisk, a global healthcare company working to defeat diabetes and other serious chronic diseases such as obesity, rare blood diseases, and rare endocrine diseases. The Novo Nordisk Industry Practice Fellowship offers fellowship tracks that range from one to two-year programs. The details of the fellowship can be found in the brochure in the description. This episode is brought to you by the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy at the University of the Sciences. This program is proud to partner with multiple companies including Biohaven, CSL Bearing, Genmab, Insight, Johnson & Johnson, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and Keokirin. During this fellowship, fellows will have multiple opportunities to enhance their experiential training through professional development programming, participation in the teaching certificate program, and options to pursue certificates or a master's degree through the university. Check out the link in the description for more information. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Today, we have my good friend Austin Murphy on the show. Austin graduated with his PharmD this past year from Temple University School of Pharmacy in Philadelphia. He is currently the first-year Global Safety Strategy and Risk Management Fellow at Janssen. This is a two-year fellowship where Austin will get extensive experience within pharmacovigilance. Austin, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So on today's episode, we thought we would talk about the fellowship interview process and specifically what should you do if you go through the mid-year process and you don't get a fellowship offer. So this is a question that I get asked a lot. So I asked my friend Austin to be on the show to talk about this. Austin was in this position himself, but he is currently a fellow, like I said, so he's going to answer some questions and explain what his thought process was after mid-year and how he got to where he is today. So with that being said, let's hop right into it. Austin, let's get started with your background. Can you tell the listeners what sort of experiences you had going into fellowship interviews? So this can be anything like rotations, work experiences, research, whatever you want. Yeah, definitely. So for starters, um, where we met actually, I interned at Pfizer for the summer. I was in the U.S. Vaccines Medical Affairs Department. Um, you know, we spent the whole summer there, and that was a great first experience, you know, getting our feet wet and just, like, getting that general understanding of the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, learning how the functional areas connect and all the different intricacies. So that was my first experience, and that was between uh, PY2 and PY3 year. So then moving into my API rotations, uh, I was lucky enough to get two different rotations with pharmaceutical companies. So I had one with a large company and the other one was with a small biotech company. And both of those experiences were great because I was able to contrast the differences between, you know, big and small companies. The first rotation was with GSK. So it was in pharmacovigilance. And that's really where I got my intro to pharmacovigilance. And I think it laid a great foundation and kind of motivated me to apply to the PV fellowships. And then I had another rotation and this was with a small company. So it was called Radius Health, and I spent that rotation shadowing an MSL in the Medaffairs department. Okay, cool. So 
Yeah, so I'm just counting your experiences that you're talking about. And it seems like we were both in very similar situations going into fellowship interviews. So we both interned at Pfizer. So we had that summer internship. And then you said you had two Appy industry rotations. And, and I also did have two. So I had one in pharmacovigilance at Santa Fe. And then I had, uh, you had a biotech one. I had a, uh, more of a regulatory one. So I had one with the FDA. Um, but mm -hmm. at this point, you know, we, we seem to have had very interesting and similar experiences going into interviews. So what was your general thought process about how to approach mid-year? And do you remember how many positions you applied for? Yeah, so mid-year, uh, I would say my thought process was really just to be like over-prepared. So I remember talking with a lot of the current and past fellows, and they kind of gave insight to the format of mid-year and also, you know, how competitive it can be with like with the candidate pool and everything. So I remember you were in the exact same boat, but we were prepping, you know, I prepped weeks in advance. I took every possible opportunity to do like a mock interview, a CV review, and also just setting up that time with fellows. So I, I made sure I set up a one you on with pretty much every fellow to a position that I was applying for. Um, another thing going into mid-year, I really wanted to find a way to highlight my personality in these interviews, which was tough, right? You know, the Zoom and team calls are like very normalized now, but at the time when the pandemic was just starting, it was a whole new concept for how to interview. So I remember when we first started, we actually discussed this, like how can we stand out on a Zoom call? Because it wasn't easy at first. But then to answer your second part of the question, I think I applied for a total of six positions. It might have been five. But there was a, a few within BMS, a few within Merck, and then AstraZeneca as well. Um, I applied to a few Med Affairs positions, and then the other ones had a pharmacovigilance focus. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so now I'm trying to think about how our experiences differed here. So. I mean, the first thing I would say is I definitely agree with being overprepared. I think I did the same exact thing for fellowship interviews. I reached out to so many different fellows for one-on-ones. And, mm -hmm. you know, now that we're both fellows, people are doing the same thing. So it's... Uh, <laughs> yep, it's, we got to give it back now. Yep. It's cool that it went full circle like that. But um, yeah, and then you said you applied to five or six positions. I definitely applied to more than that. I think I applied to like 11 or 12 positions. Um, and I remember my thought process for mid-year was, um, for the listeners, our mid-year was uh, basically right after COVID like hit, right? So the world shut down. We were the first mid-year to be totally virtual. And for for me, I, we were totally prepared to go to mid-year too. And then, you know, COVID hit and then we were like, okay, I guess everything's virtual. And for me, I remember thinking, I'm going to take the opportunity of it being virtual to give myself basically more interviews because when it's not in person, I was thinking, okay, I don't have to worry about physically going from one place to another for interviews. So I kind of just took it as an opportunity to apply to as many as I thought I could handle. Um, so that was kind of my strategy with it. Um, but then, you know, going off of that, do you feel as though you were well prepared for interviews? Like I know you said your strategy was to over prepare, but now in retrospect, do you think you were well prepared and how much time did you spend practicing? Like, I know, I remember we yeah. practiced together. <laughs> yeah, we did. I remember that. Uh, we started running our scenarios together, like through FaceTime, but yeah, I would say going into the first one, I did feel pretty prepared until I came out of the first one. <laughs> so I feel like certain things, you know, they sound great in your head or even just rehearsing them between me and you, like they sound great coming off to a friend, but it's, it's a little different when the lights are on. So I would say after my first set of interviews, I really doubled down on rehearsing even more. I probably spent 30 minutes to an hour almost every single night, you know, studying my, my questions, my scenarios, just so that they came off free flowing and even more so, so that I could focus on just letting my personality show since I already have my questions memorized. 
Yeah, I remember I spent so much time on like my one to two minute elevator pitch. I think that's <laughs> oh, the yeah. thing that everyone spends the most amount of time on. And I honestly, now that we are both interviewing candidates, that is seriously such an important part because in the first 30 seconds, you can tell like who is really prepared for the interview and who's Absolutely. not. Well, you remember uh, our old preceptor, Joyce Riley, that was advice she gave, you know, within the first 30 seconds, you can tell who really wants to be there and who may not want to be there. So yeah, the tell me about yourself question is a really, uh, really important one, but also a really tough one. Yeah, definitely. And then thinking back, this is advice that I gave in a, in a previous podcast, but now that I think back about all of this and how I prepared for the interviews, you, you mentioned you prepared a lot for all of the different questions that you expected to be asked in different situations. Um, but for anyone listening, like for situational questions, I would strongly recommend just having, you know, five stories that are really good stories that you know in a lot of detail because you can really apply at least one of those stories to just about any question that's going to get thrown your way. Um, because I remember when I started preparing and I, I think I think you did the same thing. I remember we talked about this, like you look up what are common industry fellowship questions and there's there's like hundreds of them. And I, at first yeah, I started impossible. trying to come up with an answer. Yeah, I started trying to come up with answers for all of them. And then I was like, there's no way I'm going to remember all of this. So my strategy was definitely just take a handful of stories and know them really well. Um, and I, I found a lot of success with that. Yeah, I would say I probably had close to eight scenarios, but either way, just having those that you know, like you said, inside and out, and you really know what you want to highlight with that story is important. Yeah, and then something else, this also came up in a previous episode. Um, my last guest, Liz Wilkes, she she had a really good point where when you have these, you know, a set number, whether it's five stories or eight stories or whatever it is, you can definitely reuse those stories because when you have multiple rounds, it's not the same people that are interviewing you. So if they ask yeah. questions that you think that story is applicable for, you can just reuse stories. I did that so many times throughout the process. Absolutely. And another piece of advice is with my stories, I would think, you know, what's the theme of this story? Can I apply it to maybe multiple questions so that if I, you know, if, if they double down on a certain question, I would have another story that applied to that as well. So that's something to think about when you go through the process. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cool. So in terms of the overall interview process, how did you feel throughout it? So I know you said you you felt prepared. And then after the first one, you were like, oh, maybe I'm not as prepared as I thought. So did you feel as though things were going well or poorly throughout the entire process? And, and why do you think you felt how you did? Yeah. So starting off, I think after the first interview, I, I really had like a rude awakening that maybe I wasn't ready for as many questions as I thought. But uh, I felt like I got progressively better each time that I interviewed. So as you go through, you start to realize, you know, what situations you spoke about that just may not work, some that really work really well. So I was constantly just fine tuning my answers with each interview. And, you know, by the time I hit like that fifth or sixth interview, I was very confident. And at this point, you know, I could focus on just being myself since I already had the questions, you know, down pat. But like I said, um, early on, some interviews didn't really go the way that you wanted. And I also remember going through my first round, I was like, oh, I didn't highlight my my most important skills, like why I should be the fellow here. So that's something I, I carried through as I went through. Um, but regardless, I think those initial interviews are really important. And I was thankful for them because it's like trial and error. You kind of, like I said, figure out what doesn't work and what does work. And prior to going to mid-year, you'll remember this, Alexi, we had to both interview for the Pfizer position. So that was the last interview I did before mid-year. And it was so different, so different than how, you know, getting in a summer internship. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I definitely remember the Pfizer interview process. And that was <laughs> yeah. that was a good experience. And for me, yeah, you're right. That was probably the last time I interviewed for anything before fellowships. I, I remember on my Santa Fe Happy, the team there did a really good job of 
you know, they probably gave me five or six different mock interviews with different members of the team. So I think that helped me out a lot. They, they helped me with a CV review and mock interviews. So I, I also prepared, you know, with you and some of the other interns that, that we entered with at Pfizer. So all of that was really helpful. But uh, you, you mentioned that you progressively got better with each interview. I 100% agree with that. I, I distinctly remember by, by, you know, I said I applied to 12 companies. By the time I got through four or five interviews, I was just like automatic, right? Like just yeah, rattling exactly. off my responses and I felt so much more confident. So I would say, you know, if you have a list of companies, even, you know, even if you're only applying to three or four positions, it doesn't have to be 12. If you know there's one position that you really want, I would really recommend not making that your first interview um, just because you will, you will get, yeah, you get better as you go. But on the other hand, I also wouldn't recommend making it your last interview just because, you know, companies are becoming more and more competitive with how they're giving out offers. So some companies are giving out offers way earlier. So you don't want to leave your top pick for last just because you might get you might get offers before you get an offer from your top pick. Um, and at that point, that's a good problem to have, but it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Yeah, definitely don't schedule it first because you, you want to get all those kinks out first before you step up to the company that you really want to be with. And now a message from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by USC Program and the respective industry sponsors, AbbVie, Gilead, Kite, Mankind, and Neurocrine. These unique fellowships will promote the role of PharmDs within the biopharmaceutical industry. Fellows will gain extensive hands-on experience through various practical activities within the company that will support their career development. If you're interested in finding out more about these fellowships affiliated with the University of Southern California, please check out the link in the description below. Okay, so my next question is, do you remember how many on-sites you ended up having? And yeah, we were virtual, but on-sites as in, you know, the final the final step in the process, the final interview. And what yep. was your experience with those? Yeah, so I only had one on-site. So I got an on-site with AstraZeneca and it was for a MedAffairs position. Um, I think it was like MedInfo as well as the second year being an MSL. But I remember what I had to do was pretty much meet a bunch of individuals on the team. So I, I went through like a panel of five different interviews. And then it ended with having to give a journal club presentation. I think they really just want to see, you know, how do you present yourself when like presenting scientific information? But yeah, there was really little information that was given to me about what I had to do. They, I think they said, you know, here's this journal article, present your thoughts on the data to the team. And so I did that. Uh, I felt really good about the presentation. I felt like I kind of went above and beyond and was pretty confident that I locked down the position, but um, unfortunately I did not. So AZ decided to go with the other candidate, which was, uh, you know, totally fine. But you'll remember this, Alexi, like it was kind of a tough time for me. I remember being like super bummed out that I didn't get a position. I felt like I had the experience and I was super prepared, but you know, that's life. It didn't work out the way I thought. And, you know, I wasn't able to get a Rutgers fellowship. Yeah. So a couple comments. Yeah, I do remember that because um, you know, for the listeners, when we talk about our Pfizer internship, there were there were four of us that all entered together. So it was me, Austin, our my our friend Corey, who was on a prior episode of this podcast as well, um, and then one of our other friends, Dan. And all four of us went through the process together. Three of us did get fellowships, you know, during that mid year time, and Austin did not. So that was definitely a tough time. Um, and 
you know, you still did end up with a position and we're going to get into that, but that it's just super important for people to, that are listening. You know, he went through the process and didn't get one. And I'm sure there was a period where you thought, you know, maybe I'm not going to go into, into a fellowship or, or get into industry right away. Um, and then it's, it's definitely a tough thing to go through, but we'll get, we'll get more into that. But then I just want to comment on, um, you know, your onsite. So you said you had one onsite interview and I think that is like, pretty typical for for a solid candidate going through the process especially if you only apply to five or six positions right i think getting one on site would be be pretty typical because there's just so many candidates it's so competitive and honestly a lot of candidates that make it to on sites or even don't make it to on sites are really good but there's just so much good competition yeah and um, you know there's some companies you'll fit in and mesh with really well and then some you just might not so yeah exactly so um for for me i I don't even remember honestly how many on-sites I officially had because the offer that I ended up accepting was a very early offer. So I was still in like second or third rounds with some companies. And then I, I accepted the offer that I got because it was with the company that I really wanted. But um, I ended up having to go back to other companies and just saying, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I, I don't want to proceed any further. So I don't know how many on-sites I would have gotten, but I think right, having one right, on right. I think it's rare probably to have multiple on-sites. Um, so having one is, is is pretty typical for a strong candidate. And like you said, you thought you were a great candidate and you probably were. And I'm sure it was tough because now that, you know, now that we are interviewing, I already know that, you know, out of our final candidates, it's going to be a tough decision. They all, they're all great, yeah, honestly. Absolutely. All very qualified. Yeah. So, okay. So moving on, you know, talking about that tough time a little, a little bit more. So what was going through your head once you realized that mid-year wasn't going to, or didn't work out the way that you had planned? Yeah. Yeah. So you had hit on this, but you know, you, Dan and Corey all received a fellowship and I didn't. So it was hard to be like watching other people accept their roles and post all over LinkedIn. So I was really down on myself for probably a week or two. And I just gave myself that time. Um, but then, you know, I got right back on the wagon. So my next move was I reached out to all my mentors to update them, you know, tell them that I didn't get a fellowship. And we quickly started talking about what next steps are there, what other opportunities might there be to help get my foot in the door at a pharmaceutical industry company. Um, so yeah, that was my next step. Yeah. So I, I mean, my comment on that is in several episodes in the past, I have really made it clear that I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. And honestly, mm -hmm. you did exactly what I would have done if I if I were in your shoes. I would have reached out to all of the connections I had made over the last several years and just say, hey, I didn't get anything, but I'm looking. And I, I think right. that was definitely- Exactly. I was going to say, I want, I, sh I want to encourage everyone who may not get a fellowship, that's what you should do. Like lean on your network, reach out to anybody you know that's in a position and let them know that you're interested. And if they have any opportunities that you may fit into, let them know that. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so you didn't get anything. You reached out to your network on LinkedIn. You started talking. So can you talk about what your next steps were after that? Did you, did you at any point consider an entry-level full-time employment position in industry? Cause I know that's something that people yeah. typically end up trying to do or even on top of that, did you ever consider going into another area of pharmacy, like community or hospital? Yeah. So my first move was to apply to entry-level roles, like any contractor type roles within the industry. And that's what I did. Um, my next step, like we already just said, was I was super active on LinkedIn and I made sure I put my resume up on like every website that was possible, just to increase that visibility. Uh, and I did hear back um, from a few companies, but based on different factors and locations, you know, I didn't go through with the interview process with those. Um, you know, we already talked about this, but I do recommend everyone reaches out to preceptors because that's that's the first thing I did. I reached out to all of them and one actually got back to me with a potential position. In terms of other areas of pharmacy, um, 
the both of us, you know, were really determined to work in the industry. So I didn't let that rejection steer me away from, you know, getting into the industry. I did have the thought in my head that, you know, if I couldn't figure out an industry spot post-grad, I would just pick up some hours at a retail pharmacy until I could figure it out. I know you were considering retail at one point as well. Yeah. So for me, my plan going into mid-year obviously was to secure a fellowship. And if I didn't, I think my plan B was to look for, you know, entry-level FTE positions in industry. That's something I see a lot of people do. And that's just how they get, they work their way into the industry. It's just another way of doing it besides a fellowship. So that was my plan B. But then, you know, if that didn't work out, I mean, just realistically, yeah, I can't sit around for a year and wait for, for fellowship interviews the next year, right? Like we need to make money. Everyone's situation is different, but if you have loans, like it's just not realistic to not work, right? So I definitely considered, you know, community if I had to, or, you know, I worked at an inpatient pharmacy all through pharmacy school. So possibly doing something like that. Um, and I, I think that's important because a lot of a lot of advice that I remember getting was if during an interview, you're asked what you're what you're going to do if you don't land a fellowship. A lot of people say they don't want to hear that you're going to go into a different area of pharmacy. They really want to hear you double down and say, I'm going to find my way into industry somehow. But the only thing I'm going to say to that is there, if you can explain why you would consider an inpatient role or something like that, I think that could be very valuable because for example, if you're applying to you know, a medical science liaison fellowship position, right? And you're applying for a company that makes oncology products. You can say, well, you know, I work at a hospital that deals with oncology medications. I would consider taking a role there just to build up my clinical knowledge. And then after, you know, a year or two of experience there, I, I might make my way over to the pharmaceutical industry and work in medical affairs as an MSL, specifically with oncology products. And that's really valuable because now that we're in industry, a lot of people do that. And pharma companies really value people with that clinical expertise. So that's just another way to think about answering that question possibly. Yeah, I agree. As long as you can back it up, like you said, with a solid reason. Right. So, you know, you mentioned how you ended up putting your resume all over the place at this point. So can you kind of explain how did you actually end up finding fellowship opportunities after mid-year? Because I, I remember when you were going through this, you know, this rejection and this whole process, I didn't even really know there were fellowship opportunities after mid-year. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't either. Um, so they're, they're not easy to find per se, but what I was doing was I would go on Google and just type in a pharmaceutical company name along with PharmD fellowships. And there actually is a lot of opportunities out there. They just may not be marketed in the same way that the Rutgers fellowships are. Um, but I did want to give credit to IPHO. I saw this year, what they're doing is, you know, compiling all those brochures on the website, which has probably been really helpful for the applicants. Um, but in terms of the fellowship that I'm doing right now, they actually sent out an email to my school. And it was forwarded to all the students. It's funny because I actually missed the email. And I remember one of my friends had, you know, texted me and brought it to my attention. I remember initially thinking that, like, you know, I can't go through that heartbreak again, like getting close and then getting rejected. Um, but don't don't follow that advice. You know, you have to keep going and keep pushing and you never know what opportunity may arise. So, like I said, I, I had the PV experience during Appies, So I felt like I really understood the job description and all those things. Obviously, I decided to apply and was lucky enough to get the role. Yeah. So a couple, a couple things. So the first thing is, it is funny that you missed that email and your friend told you. So that kind of goes back to make sure people know what you are trying to do. Because if your friend, for example, didn't really know you wanted 
a fellowship or, or that specific company, et cetera. Like if they didn't know that, maybe they would have never thought to send it to you and you you would have yeah. totally missed out on that opportunity. So that just goes yeah. back to use your network for, for everything that it's worth. Yeah. I've also encouraged candidates to do what we did. You know, we had that group chat with the four of us that went to Pfizer and we were constantly updating each other with either new fellowships, new opportunities, what we were thinking during the process. And that was super helpful to get things out to each other. So I highly recommend if candidates, if you have other friends going through the mid-year process or fellowship, you know, create a group chat, connect with them however you can. Yeah, that's a really good point. That was incredibly helpful during the process is having the three of you because uh, not many people in my graduating class pursued fellowships. And it's not something mm -hmm. that, you know, I, at least at my school, they really taught us how to go through like the residency process. And a lot of professors were able to help with that because they were all, you know, they were in clinical practice. They're familiar with the ASHP residency process, but there wasn't as much help available for fellowships. So yeah, if you have friends going through the process, do it together. It, it'll really benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my last question for you, Austin, is, you know, obviously fellowship interviews are in full swing right now, and there are a ton of applicants as always. So what advice would you give to students that don't get an offer and find themselves in the same position that you were in a year ago? Yeah, I would say if you're passionate about working within the pharmaceutical industry, there are so many ways to get your foot in the door. So don't give up if the fellowship process doesn't work in your favor. Um, you know, I know it's easy for me to sit here and say this because I'm now a fellow, but there was, like you said, Alexi, there was that three month period where I was pretty sure I was going to have to find an alter alternate route to get into the industry. Um, so some advice, you know, be on the lookout for other independent fellowships. That's what I did. So do the Google searching, do all those things and apply to as many as you can. Also, another route, I'm sure you've seen this too, Alexi, like if it's not a fellowship, you can apply to contractor roles. And typically, some of these candidates will get retained, you know, if there's a fit within the company, if there's a specific need for the work you're doing. And then um, also, people work for agencies and vendors that work closely with pharma. So sometimes you may start there and then leverage a role with your experience to get within the industry. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And that's, that's definitely good advice. So independent fellowships are, you know, they're not as well known, but that's kind of why you were able to get the position you did because yeah, when they're independent, they don't have to work on anyone else's timeline. They, if they have a, a need or a position that opens or, you know, they decide last minute, hey, let's start a fellowship. You know, that's exactly what happened to you. They can do that. They don't have to get exactly. approval. For, they don't need approval from a university or anything like that. So definitely just keep looking. Like you said, you waited three months until you got yours. So yeah. that's a very I think long mine, time. I think my position didn't start recruiting until like almost mid-January and I didn't get an offer to like mid-March, which most candidates would think is unheard of, but it actually happened. So definitely need to research other independent positions. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, you mentioned getting a contractor role. So right now, mm -hmm. um, as a fellow, I'm seeing people that, that ended up doing that, that either didn't get fellowships or decided they didn't want to even, you know, go for fellowships and they got contractor position, positions. And now they are getting hired on because just general business needs positions are opening up and companies are very likely to, to hire contractors that have already been working there for, you know, several months or, or mm -hmm. a year or even longer because they're familiar with the, how the company likes to do things. So yeah, contractor roles within companies or you know, agencies and vendors look at jobs at CROs, uh, contract research organizations, because those are a lot of the types of vendors that pharma companies work with. And, you know, I've seen so many people come from CROs into pharma. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, moral of the story is just don't give up because there's so many ways to get that experience and get a role within pharma. So don't let just the fellowship rejection steer your whole career plan. And Alexi, I know you'll, I know you'll like this one. You're a big Gary V fan, but I heard this quote the other day and it stuck with me. He said, you're not going to find the gold if you don't start digging. And it's true. You know, you have to put the work in, you have to be on the lookout because a fellowship won't just really like fall on your lap. A hundred percent. That that reminds me of the Wayne Gretzky, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take quote. Um, yeah. Same exact thing. You just have to keep going and it's something will definitely work out and everything works out for a reason. And I know, you know, Austin, now you're, you seem to be extremely happy with how things worked out and yeah, it was tough, but I mean, I feel like you definitely grew a lot from that experience and it just showed you that if something doesn't go your way, don't give up and keep going. And you might even get something better than what you had originally expected. Yeah, definitely. You know, it worked out exactly how it was supposed to. I love the team that I'm on. Really excited to be working with my preceptor and the past fellow, and it's been great. Awesome. So Austin, thank you so much. I think this episode is going to provide a lot of value for people going through the process right now. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing your story and thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on today. All right, listeners, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by the Division of Pharmacotherapy and Experimental Therapeutics in the Eshelman School of Pharmacy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which has been offering numerous industry-sponsored fellowships for over 40 years. Fellows will obtain real-world research experience in their respective areas of interest through coursework, monthly forums, and seminars, followed by hands-on experience. Check out their brochure in the description.